Let's read in the Holy Word of God this morning from the prophecy of Ezekiel. The prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 14. You'll find Ezekiel after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, and right before Daniel and the Minor Prophets. Ezekiel will read from chapter 14, and we'll read the first 11 verses of the chapter. Ezekiel chapter 14, as we read, think about the theme of the sermon this morning, Idols of the Heart. Ezekiel chapter 14, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and said, and sat before me, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourself from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me and setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I the Lord will answer him by myself. And I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand upon him, and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him. That the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. We read that far in The Holy Inspired Word of God on pages 20 and 21 in the back of the Psalter. This morning we look at the explanation in the Heidelberg Catechism of the First Commandment. Lord's Day 34 begins with the question, what is the law of God? And then it gives us the law of God and the Ten Commandments. And then question 93 How are these commandments divided into two tables, the first of which teaches us how we must behave toward God, the second, what duties we owe to our neighbor? Question 94, what doth God enjoin in the first commandment? That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, 
soothsaying superstition, invocation of saints or any other creatures, and learn rightly to know the only true God. Trust in Him alone with humility and patience. Submit to Him. Expect all good things from Him only. Love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to His will. Question 95, what is idolatry? Idolatry is, instead of or besides that one true God has, who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place the trust. We come in the Heidelberg Catechism to the treatment, the explanation of the Ten Commandments of the Law of God. And you know that that comes in the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, how I may show my gratitude to God for my great salvation. But this is not the first time in the Catechism that the Ten Commandments, the law, is treated. It's also treated in the second Lord's Day, which deals with the subject of knowing my misery. And so the law there is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, a mirror of the iniquity and sin in our hearts. It shows us the holiness and the justice of God, and we come to see how great our sin and our misery are. But as we come this morning to the law in the section on thanksgiving, we mustn't think that, that the law showing us our sin is behind us. As we come to look at the law with regard to sanctification, that is living a life of holiness and thankfulness to God, we still are faced with that same thing, that the law shows us our sin, our misery. And it does this not by just showing to us our depravity, but it does it by showing to us our sin in very specific ways in our daily living. And that's part of this section on gratitude. We last week talked about true conversion, putting off the old man, putting on the new. That is mortifying the deeds of the flesh, as Colossians 3 calls it, and being quickened in the new man. And the law of God shows to us our sin so that we will put it away. And each of the commandments does that. In the first commandment, the sin is idolatry. It's explained in the Catechism as having something else in which you pray, place your trust, either in place of or alongside of God. And we have to see that sin. The law is showing us that sin so that we repent of it and then put on. Quicken the new man. And what are we to put on? Well, the true worship of God, as that's explained for us in Question 94, in these ways, that we know God, that we trust in Him, that we submit to Him, that we expect all good things from Him, love, fear, glorify Him with all our hearts. And so as we recognize idolatry, our trust in things other than God, we repent of that, and then we turn in worship to the true God. We have to see, as we come before the law, sin, not just now in our nature, and not even only in our hearts, though that's where especially we want to see it, but even in our lives. And the law will show that to us. 
Now, the sin of idolatry takes many forms. We can think of it in its crass form, I suppose you'd say, where somebody would create an idol, a statue, and then call that his God or a representation of his God and bow down before it. So it's something that he imagined is in his mind, and then he creates with his hands, and then he worships that thing. But idolatry also takes place in the mind, and idolatry is to think anything less of God than what God is. It is to have demeaning, trivializing thoughts and ideas concerning God that are not worthy of God Himself. And that's idolatry that takes place in our minds. You, you, you understand then that all false teaching that misrepresents God is a form of idolatry. And this is not just something for us to think of as happening in other places, but God's Word comes to us to address this kind of idolatry. So Psalm 73, verse 11, this is what the heathen say, Doth God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? So they've created in their mind a God who doesn't know, a God who doesn't see. And that's an excuse or an explanation for why they live as they please. But God's people can do exactly the same thing. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 Judah, going through difficulties, says, My way is hid from the Lord. My knowledge is passed over from God. God doesn't know what I'm going through. And that is another form of idolatry. This morning we want to look at one specific kind of idolatry. It's addressed in the chapter that we read, Ezekiel chapter 14. And it is, I'll say, the primary form of idolatry, the most extreme form of idolatry, the most dangerous form of idolatry, and that's the idols of the human heart. We're tempted to this. We have to put off these idols, and this is, I'll say, the particular form of idolatry in our age, in our day. We live in a culture that is sophisticated and educated, and, and man recognizes, we might say, the folly of bowing to wood and stone. But that doesn't mean that man's heart is not filled with idolatry. And this idolatry takes place, or, or the idols that take the place of wood and stone, are the idols that man forms in his heart. And the word in Ezekiel comes especially to God's people. The people who have come to sit and to hear the prophet to hear the Word of God from the prophet. So this morning, let's consider the first commandment under the theme, Idols of the Human Heart. Notice with me first the sin. Second, notice with me the result of this sin. And then third, our calling. Idols of the Human Heart. You've heard that phrase. Did you know that it came from the Bible, and it came from the Bible in the prophecy of Ezekiel? What is an idol? Most of us think of an idol as a statue of wood and stone worshipped by ancient or pagan people, but the concept idol is much broader than just that image or that thing that men will fall down before and worship. It's much more personal. We have our idols. An idol is anything apart from or besides God that we depend on 
for our happiness, for our fulfillment, and for our security. Anything besides God that we try to find our fulfillment and our happiness in, or that we depend on to give us safety and security and identity. And so, according to Scripture, an idol is something that we set our heart on. The Bible talks about that. Something that motivates us or moves us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You live for it. Something that, in the end, masters us or rules us becomes the governing principle and the purpose of our living so that we trust it, we serve it, we love it. And we give to it the trust and the service and the love that God alone deserves. And you can see from that that idolatry is a matter of the heart, that we have idols that we set up in our heart. In fact, all idolatry comes from the heart, and this is what happens. We have a desire, and that desire begins to take over our thinking and take over our doing and take over our heart. Usually that starts with Just a desire, it might even be a desire that in itself is not wrong, perhaps even a good desire. If in your family, in your home, you want peace, or you want orderliness, or you want cleanliness, those are not wrong desires. You have other things in your work or whatever, things that you desire. They're not wrong. You need a new computer. You need another vehicle. Those are not wrong in themselves. But these desires become idols when, if we don't get them, we begin to think that we deserve them, and we become disappointed that we don't have them, and we dwell on them, and we think about them, and we become obsessed with them, and we work for them only, and they begin to control our life. And so you see, Colossians 3 says, covetousness is idolatry. It's an obsession with something. And as I said, it can become something it can be something that's legitimate. But soon that desire becomes a demand, and then instead of it being just a desire, I wish to have that thing, should the Lord give it to me, it becomes I must have this thing. And that's what Ezekiel is talking about here in Ezekiel chapter 14 when he speaks over and over of idols in the heart. Idols in the heart. We don't know, we're not very familiar with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was one of the exile prophets, a a contemporary of Jeremiah. Whereas Jeremiah was called by God to stay in Jerusalem and to preach to the people there as Jerusalem was being destroyed and the people were being carried away captive. Ezekiel was taken with the first uh, captives from Jerusalem and put in Babylon by the river Kibar. And from the river Kibar, where the Israelites had a camp of hostages, he preached. And he preached and he prophesied both to the people who were there in front of him in captivity, as well as to the people in Jerusalem. And what he prophesied was written down and taken back to Jerusalem. And in the chapter that we have before us, Jeremiah is prophesying not to the people in Jerusalem, but to the captives at the river Kibar in Babylon. So verse 1, Then came certain of the captains, uh, came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and they sat before me. So 
These are the, there's still some societal structure in Israel. There's still some worship. There's even a prophet there. And they come to sit before him to hear God's word. They have some kind of question, some kind of inquiry. We don't know what that inquiry is. It's not told us in the, in the chapter here what that is. Perhaps, and most likely in the context here, the inquiry has to do with how long? How long, Ezekiel? How long are we going to be here in Babylon? When can we go back? And you notice here that rather than giving them an answer, God just tells them through the prophet, you have idols in your heart. What that idol is, we're not told. It's not named here. It could be that they worshipped the other gods. Maybe it was that they delighted in the life of Babylon. Maybe it was that they were longing to go back to Jerusalem and desiring with nostalgia what they had before. And not all of those would be bad things if their desire is to go back to Jerusalem. That in itself is, is not a bad desire. But instead of answering them, he confronts them. Notice that at the end of verse uh, 3, they've got their idols in their heart, the prophet says, and should I be inquired of at all by them? They have these idols in their heart. How do they dare to come to seek me and have questions for my prophet? Look at the end of the next verse, verse 4. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. I am going to answer him, but what I'm going to answer are the idols that are in his heart. Those are what God will confront with the word. We're not told what the idol is, but we are told where the idol is. The idol is in the heart. And that's the most dangerous form of idolatry because even though an idol is nothing, and we could say that even about materialism or any of the desires that we have. Those things aren't deities. They aren't God. If your idol is uh, peace and happiness in your home, or if your idol is a new vehicle, or if your idol is a bigger home, or a promotion in the workplace, those are real things, but those things are not gods. Idols are nothing. They're not deities alongside God. But when they become the objects of worship in our heart, when that desire turns into a demand, then we give to them the place of God. They become the things that we worship. They become deities. And so something that isn't God begins to dominate our life. It begins to control our thinking and our living. The Bible says that out of the heart are the issues of life. And if the heart is dominated by this idol, then that's going to control, that's going to govern our living and our thinking and our speaking. A couple of weeks ago we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 6 and the comment there in verse 21 by Jesus, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we talked about the relationship between heart and and treasure, and life, and how these things are all connected. And the thing that we value, the thing that we set our heart on, that we love, that we treasure, is going to feed our hearts. And it's going to grow bigger in our hearts, and then that's going to direct all of our living. 
That's what really an idol is in the heart. Where your treasure is, we could say where your idol is, that's where your heart will be. The thing that you live for is going to feed your soul and direct your living. And that means this, if there's an idol in your heart, it's going to be very difficult to get rid of. Those idols, I'll say, that are out there, maybe if that idol is even some object, a car or something like that, it's not hard to get rid of that. Maybe that idol, that thing that you set your heart on, that vehicle is smashed. Well, it can hardly be an idol anymore. But if it's taken a place in your heart, if it's governing your living from within you, then it's so much more difficult to be rid of. Something else we see here from Ezekiel chapter 14 is that you can be very religious and still have idols in your heart. These were the elders of Israel. They came to the prophet Ezekiel and they said to him, we want to hear the word of the Lord. They inquired of the prophet of God. They sat before him to hear what God would say to them in answer to their question. They're very religious, but at the same time, the Bible tells us they had another God. And they had another place of worship. And that other God was in their hearts. Verse 3 says that they had set up these idols in their hearts. And so their hearts were, as it were, a sanctuary of worship. And in that sanctuary of worship, the, the idol, the thing that was most important to them, was set up. And they made sacrifices. That's what you do in a place of worship. You go to that place of worship and you make sacrifices. And the idea in having an idol in your heart is that you're going to direct the energies and the resources of your life to serve this idol. And in your heart, you're going to worship it and it's going to direct all your living. That's what you do when you have an idol in your heart. You put yourself out for that thing. You give that thing a cozy place. You protect it so that you can live for it and serve it. And that was hypocrisy. Because they had this high idol in their heart, their outward religion in which they came before the prophet was an empty religion. We turn back to Isaiah chapter 1. That's exactly the word that God gives there. He says to them, when you come and appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? And they're coming into God's courts. They're bringing the sacrifices. They're keeping the holy days. And God says, bring no more vain oblation. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. And it's their hypocrisy. It's the idolatry of their hearts. That's the problem. And that's what the prophet is saying here in Ezekiel chapter 14. You set up these idols in your heart. Your heart has become a temple of worship to your other gods. You're pouring resources into, into serving them. And you come to me and God says, I'm not going to hear you. Why should you inquire of me? And now let's think about that. Isn't that instructive? Isn't that 
practical for us? As we come this morning and worship even, what idols are in your heart? What have you set up there as an object of worship? What is it that's directing and controlling your living? What is it that you're pouring your resources into? And now let's think of some of those idols of the heart. Perhaps the biggest idol of the heart is pride. And in pride, you set up yourself as number one. And you live for yourself. That idol can be, in relation to pride, something like your own success, or your own wealth, or your own image and appearance, or the praise that you receive of others. These are the idols in your heart. Did you come this morning to worship Jehovah? Or did you come this morning to be worshipped and recognized? We think of Matthew chapter 6, the Pharisees, they do it to be seen of men, and they have their reward. Did you come before God this morning with an idol of self? in your heart. There are other idols, pleasures, sinful pleasures, or beyond that even, something like this. A need to be in control. A need to have things the way that you want them. I talked a little earlier about legitimate things like cleanliness or happiness or peace. Legitimate things, becoming idols, becoming that which governs our living. What's on the throne in your heart? What's controlling? What are you living for? And now you understand that the law of God comes in a very personal and penetrating way, doesn't it? It's not just intended to show us how great our sin is once, so that once we come to the cross in Christ, but it's intended to bring us daily again and again to repentance before God. To understand the importance of of the word of the prophet here, we should see in the text some of the results of heart idolatry. Heart idolatry. What does heart idolatry produce? What does it result in? And there are three things in the passage here that help us to understand, I'll say, the the urgency of this matter of heart idols. The first is this, that heart idols lead lead to sin in your life. Heart idols lead to sin in your life. And that, of course, makes, makes sense to us because sin begins in the heart, doesn't it? And out of the heart are the issues of life. Where does evil speaking come from? It comes from hatred. Where does sexual unfaithfulness and promiscuity come from? It comes from lust in the heart. And that's what you see here in the way that the prophet describes the idols of the heart in relation to to actual sinful things, what we might ordinarily think of as idols, the objects of their worship. He's saying 
The idol is in their heart, but there is iniquity in their life. And he describes it this way in verse 4, that they set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. The stumbling block of their iniquity. So it isn't just something in their hearts that's a desire, but there's something that they have in front of their eyes. And again in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So they put this iniquity before their eyes. Now, you can think of something like the internet, pornography. You have this iniquity before your eyes. Young people, men, what's it doing? It's feeding this idol in your heart, isn't it? And it's starting to control your living. And as it feeds your heart, and controls your living, it becomes greater, a greater sin. What you love, you look at. That's the point here. They have this idol in their heart, that's their love, and then they set this iniquity before their eyes. What you love, you will look at. That's true for the child of God, too. In Psalm 16, I've set the Lord always before me. Why? Because I love the Lord. Psalm 26, thy loving kindness is before my face. Why why is God's loving kindness and his mercy before our face? Well, because we love it. We delight in it. In Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 16, it's descri- a, a, a woman or a wife is described this way, as the desire of thine eyes. She's before your eyes because you love her. But here... The prophet says they put their iniquity before their eyes. They feed their souls by gazing on their sin and gazing on their sin. They're led into greater sin. James talks about it this way, as lust that is in the womb and brings forth. So you have this idol in your heart, this seed of lust, and then you put the iniquity before your eyes and you feed that lust in your, and and it germinates and it brings forth sin. And sin in the end, he says, leads to death. And then the idol has not just become, well, the idol is not just anymore in the heart, but it's become the reality that defines your life. Where does sin come from? Well, it comes from those desires that we give a place to that belongs to God. So that's the first result of idolatry in the heart here. The second is not just sin, but the destruction that sin brings. And so in verse 4 again, and he repeats this phrase two or three times in this passage, he calls it not just the iniquity that they have before their face, but the stumbling block of their iniquity. And stumbling block has the idea of something that you fall over and you hurt yourself. And the warning of the prophet is that these idols in your heart that you're setting before your eyes, you're going to fall over them. You're going to hurt yourself. And that's 
the whole point of this passage here, the judgment of God, God is not going to speak to them to give them as they come before Him an answer to their inquiries, but God is going to speak to them a word of judgment and warning concerning the idols that they have in their heart and that these are going to be, bring ruin in their life. And so you can think of the way that the judgment of God is described in Romans chapter 1, that God uh, gives them over to their lust. And as he gives them over to their lust, it brings a, an immeasurable ruin, destruction. Think of the way Romans 1 describes that with regard to humanity and society. Who, knowing God, don't acknowledge him as God. Suppress the knowledge of God. And they give themselves over to their lusts and they take pleasure in them that do them. And the end is an immorality that permeates a society. But now again, lest we think of this as, as the world's problem, think of the idols in your own heart and the destruction that they can bring in your life and especially your relationships. This is the heart of conflict, isn't it? The heart of conflict is that I have a desire that I've turned into a demand. And this demand is something that I'm dwelling on with disappointment. And because I'm disappointed in it, you're going to suffer. If I can't get out of you what I want, you're going to suffer. That's the heart of conflict. We punish other people because they're not giving us what we expect. And we say, but it's legitimate, isn't it? It's legitimate that my home be clean. It's legitimate that I can expect these things from my husband. But we've turned this desire into demand, and it becomes destructive. And that's really what happens here in this passage as well. Look at the end of verse 5. They are all estranged from me through their idols. And then uh, in, in uh, verse 7 again, they come to inquire of God, but they separate themselves from me by their idols. And those desires in the heart that have become demands have supplanted God and separated them from God. And we have to think about that with regard to the idols that, that are in our heart. These things drive us away from relationships, drive us away in the end from God. Adam and Eve, by their sin, were driven from the presence of God. You understand the seriousness and the urgency then of this. But there's another result in the passage, and perhaps it's even, in a sense, more serious. And it's this, that idols in the heart become barriers to receiving the instruction of the Word of God. That's precisely what happens in this passage. The elders come, they come to, with their inquiry, their idol is in their heart, they want that answered. 
And the prophet says, no, God has a different word for you. And the different word for you is that there are these things in your heart that you need to repent of, that you need to put away, these idols that you need to turn from, and they don't hear the prophet. God says, I don't have anything to say to you then except judgment, and they don't hear the word that calls them to repentance because they've made an idol of something, and that's the important thing in their mind. And that's so important again for us as Christians. What is it that should be on our heart? Well, what should be on our heart, should be on the throne in our heart, is God Himself and His Word and Jesus Christ, who is King. But when something else is on the throne in our heart, one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to have a hard heart towards the Word of God, or we're going to zone out from the Word of God. We're not going to hear the Word of God when it comes to us. Pray that God gives you a humble heart that that is ruled by the grace of Jesus Christ so that when the Word comes to confront or expose, you can see those idols and turn from them in your heart. Otherwise, there's no profit. And then the result becomes even more severe. This is from the prophecy of Amos. Amos chapter 7 And verse 12, the king says to the prophet Amos, O thou seer, go, flee, get thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. The king of Israel is saying, we don't want to hear your words. They've hardened their heart against the word. And then God says in Amos chapter 8, I'm going to send a famine. And it won't be a famine of bread and water, but a famine of the hearing of the word. And when we set up idols in our hearts, that's what God will do. He'll send us a judgment in which we're separated from the word, the saving word of the gospel. So what are the idols that we've set up? What are the idols that you've set up in your heart? Well, that brings us to the last thing we want to talk about this morning with regard to idolatry, and it's the calling. And it's the calling that the prophet puts before them here in verse 6. And that's the calling to repent and to put away their idols. Thus saith the Lord, repent and turn yourself from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Stop looking at those things, living for those things seeking those things, having them on the throne, worshiping them, pouring your resources into them. Turn away. Now, that's an often repeated phrase in the Scripture, put away the idols from among you. Genesis 35, verse 2. Jacob says that to his family. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua says it to Israel as they come into the promised land. 1 Samuel 7. Samuel says it to Israel as they receive their first king. Put away your idols in the New Testament. That's directed not so much at those external objects, but at the idols of the heart. John says, last verse of his first epistle, little children, keep yourself from idols. And then Colossians chapter 3 speaks of this in connection with the whole idea of mortifying, that is killing, repentance, putting the old man of sin to death. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, 
And what are they? These are your idols, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence or desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Put away your idols. That's the Word of God to us this morning. And pray that God will help us to see, to identify the idols that are driving our living and consuming our resources. But I want to finish this morning on a, a more positive note than that, and that is, as we mortify the old man, as we recognize our sin, the Bible tells us to quicken the new man, to put on. And the Lord's Day here is very helpful for us in that, in the way that it describes, I'll say in one word, worship. That's what the first commandment is about. No other gods before me. And perhaps you can go home and write down these things from the answer to question 94. What does God require or enjoin in the first commandment? The main word is the word worship. That's what God requires in the first commandment, that we worship Him, that we worship Him alone. But very helpfully, the Catechism fills that out for us by giving us, I'll say, eight different ways in which we worship Him. So, it's one thing to put off your idols. But now, this is how you love God. This is how you love the one only true God. This is how you worship Him in the temple of your heart. Know Him. Trust Him, submit to Him, expect all good things from Him, love Him, fear Him, glorify Him, and obey Him. And we could develop each of those to know God, to know God is life eternal. To trust in Him is to have a confidence in Him. To submit to Him has to do with His, his providence and being humble and patient as, as God directs the affairs of our life. To expect all good things from Him is to acknowledge that He's the sovereign and the overflowing fountain of all good and to, to find our fulfillment and our joy in Him and in what comes from Him. To, to love in Him, to love Him is to, to give total dedication to Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to fear Him is to, to have a, we could call it, a constant God consciousness and an appropriate awe of who He is as God and think about the high things of God. Start your day, live your day in the fear of the Lord to glorify Him. This has to do with priorities in your life. Why are you here? I'm here to glorify God, to obey Him. This is simply to, as it puts it in the catechism, renounce all other creatures. That's all sin, because all sin in the end is idolatry. And in obedience to give God his place. And so we could go back again to this whole idea of conversion. And what's conversion? In the positive, it is to love God, to delight in him. And that's what the first commandment is telling us. When God says, thou shalt have no other gods, he says, love me with all your being and all that you are. Amen. Father, we're...
thankful for thy word. It comes with conviction. It shows us our sin, but it also directs us towards the only, the one, the lovely God, thyself. Draw our hearts after thee, we pray, in thankfulness for what we have in Jesus Christ. Give us to put away the idols of our hearts and live for thee. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.